love Christmas music. I wish we could sing it all year round. Day after Thanksgiving. Once that holiday, we're done focusing on that holiday. We just move right into Christmas in the Myers household. We get the tree, pop the music and the uh, CD player. Good to go. If we could vote and move Thanksgiving back to like September, I'd be all for it. Just start like two months of, uh, of Christmas. Um, it was funny, I was thinking, my, my son Blaze has a, a, a favorite, we has a couple of favorite songs right now, he's two. And uh, one of the Christmas songs he likes for whatever reason is this uh, duet, I'm sure you've heard it before. Um, I think it's called Baby It's Cold <laughs> Outside. Uh, my wife Kristen and I were actually, at, I don't want to spoil this, but we're going to sing that on stage together in just a few weeks. I'm just kidding, we're not going to do that. Um, a bunch of people, different people have done it, and for whatever reason, it, it's kind of got some naughty parts in it. Good, good naughty. It's a married couple singing. And uh, so, baby, it's cold outside, and he sings that. But it's funny, because he does this hybrid, because his other favorite song is my son Jackson's favorite song, a Johnny Cash song that I mentioned a couple weeks ago called God's Gonna Cut You Down. And so he combines them. It's so funny. So this morning, he was walking around saying, Baby, and you know, the, the, baby, it's cold outside. God's going to cut you down. <laughs> I don't know how those two go together, but Merry Christmas, Blaze. <laughs> so with that, First John. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. We're going to be in chapter 5, verse 13, but I want to tie two things together here. Chapter 4, verse 17. This was the, the first confidence that John talked about. Uh, this great confidence that we have uh, for a day to come. And he's going to talk about a, another confidence that we're going to read in the passage today. But in chapter 4, verse 17, he said, By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. So he said to Christians, we can have great confidence for the day of judgment. So one day we're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to judge everyone, the living and the dead. And we can have confidence because we can know that we have eternal life in Jesus. And, and that was the end here of what we read last week, verse 13, the transitions into what we're talking about today, where John says, So I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So there's that, that confidence. It's a, it's a future confidence. I can enter into this day in the future and have confidence before God knowing that I have eternal life. Now today though, he's going to go from talking about a, a future confidence that we have now to a present confidence that we have now. Verse 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we asked of him. So that there's a confidence then for the day of judgment, and there's a confidence now. The confidence then is that we have eternal life. The confidence now is answered prayer. This is the great confidence that John wants to encourage us with. That we not only will, when this life is over, approach God in confidence as believers, but we can approach God right now in confidence. We will confidently go to Him then, and we can confidently go to Him now. And the confidence we have now is that He hears us and he answers our prayer. John Stott calls this freedom of speech before God. 
We have freedom of speech before God. We can go to Him and we can offer our requests. And He hears us according to here and elsewhere, but according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Let me read it one more time. We'll read it several times today. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. So this is a relational confidence that we have toward Him right now. What is it? That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. That's the first thing. That's the first thing that should bring great confidence to us is that God hears us. So not only does God receive our petitions. In other words, our, our requests, they reach God. But not only do our requests reach God, God's answers reach us. And this is the confidence that John is talking about. Because what does verse 15 say? It explains what he means when he says that God hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now when you look at the tense that the writer is writing in, this is what he's saying. When you pray to God this way, he answers your prayer right now. You have your request right now. So this, what this means is that you're not waiting for God to answer your prayer. God is not deliberating. Sometimes we think like that. God is not trying to figure out what He's going to do. He's not pondering what His answer is going to be. You have the granting to your request right now when your prayer leaves you. God hears you. And if He hears you, you know that we have this request that we've brought to him. What we're waiting for is the result of his granting our request. That's all we're waiting for. But the request is granted by God. And so what John is doing is saying, this should give you great confidence today. This should give you great confidence that when you look at the keys in this passage, there is, there is our role and God's role. And it is ask. That's what we do. That's the verb he gives us. Ask. So we come before God and we ask. And God hears. And when John says God hears, John means God answers. And so the confidence that we should have, according to John, is that God answers your prayer. Now I think that that is a confidence we read about but a confidence we struggle with experiencing because of unanswered prayer. Because we have things that we've prayed for and the prayer wasn't answered, seemingly. We have requests that we've made. We have people that we've prayed for and it did not go the way that we prayed. And that can be crushing for us. And it can diminish our confidence in going to God. Now God, if you just answer all of these prayers exactly the way I asked you to, I mean, that's our reasoning, right? That'd be so good for my prayer life. So we have this tension, right? Because here it says that John says, you need to have confidence. And your great confidence is that you can go to God and He hears your prayers and He answers your prayer. But then we're over here saying, but wait a minute. That has not been my experience for many of us. At least in part. 
My experience, I've been told things like, yeah, God says yes, no, and maybe, or yes, no, and wait. And God isn't answering my prayer favorably, and he is talking about favorably. What you're asking for, God is not saying no, he's not saying wait, he's giving you what you're asking for. And so we want to figure out what that means and how we can have that kind of confidence because that has not been our experience. What am I supposed to do with unanswered prayer? How does that fit into what John is saying? Because you want, right, I want, I want to have a, a, a prayer life that is, is, is vibrant and is, is active. And I, and I don't want to do just these token prayers. And I don't want to pray to God with no faith and no confidence and, and no believing in His ability. I, I want to come to Him exactly like John is talking about, with great confidence. But what about unanswered prayer? That's the big question that I want us to work through as we try to understand what John is saying. My hope and prayer would be at the end of our time together, working through this, that, that God's goal, as revealed here, okay, would become our goal, and that we would have, even this evening, great confidence toward God as the one who answers our prayers. It's a big goal. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for Your Word. And we devote this time every week to come together and to read together. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and shine a floodlight on your word and on Jesus. That we would see Jesus more clearly. That we would hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus more clearly. God, that you would increase our faith that we could be among Your people who pray with great confidence. Help us to know, God, what is our confidence in? How do we handle prayers that aren't answered? How do we explain prayers that aren't answered? And how does this not shake our confidence in a way that diminishes our prayer life? Oh, help us now through Your Spirit, by Your Word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to stick to my notes because about an hour ago, I moved everything around. And so there's more red ink on these pages than there is actual actually what was printed. So if you see me looking at this quite a bit, it's because I'm trying to maintain a train of thought and not frustrate everyone listening. So to talk about prayer, when I pray, I am communing with God. This is prayer. I'm communing with God. I am in fellowship with Him. I am enjoying Him. I am delighting in Him. It is less about rattling off a to-do list for God. I have a to-do list for God. And I've got a journal and it's got like my shopping list for God. And I bring those requests to Him often, frequently. A prayer is more than just rattling off a to-do list for God. It is sacred, holy, communion with Him. It is a two-way conversation where we are reading His Word, which is God communicating to us. And if you're praying apart from reading God's Word, it will feel like God fell asleep on the other end when you pray. So you need to hear from God. So we read His Word and then we pray and we commune with Him and we fellowship with Him and we delight with Him and we think about who God is and we think about what God has done and we think about what He has promised and we talk to Him and we bring our praises to Him and we bring our requests to Him. Now 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 has a very important brief qualification 
And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything, He hears us. But there's a little tiny qualifier in there, right? And this is what we need to pay attention to and see other scripture that supports it because it's going to help us understand why is there unanswered prayer and how does unanswered prayer not shake my confidence in God? And here in this text, it is, it is not just if we ask anything, he hears us. He says, if we ask anything according to his will. If we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us and he answers us. Two other scriptures that you're familiar with if you've been listening to your Bible for long. Two other verses that say the same thing using words like anything and whatever you pray, God answers you. But then there's these small qualifiers. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's the qualifier. If you abide in me, Jesus said, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That same thing as 1 John 5. Ask anything and he hears us. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The first qualifier, according to his will. Second qualifier, if you abide in Jesus and his words abide in you. One other verse with this little qualifier. Matthew 11, verse 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So it doesn't just say, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, it will be yours. There's a qualifier. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. Right? This is where the false doctrine of the word faith movement that's where they base this ask whatever you wish but you must believe that you have received it and so it goes like this it's a it's a misinterpretation but it's ask whatever you wish like ferrari and now step 2 believe that you have received it Just believe that you have received it. And go home, and a Ferrari there will be. And if there's no Ferrari, what was the problem? You didn't believe, what, you don't believe God can give you a Ferrari? What's the matter with you? Believe it. And if you really believe it strongly enough, when you go home, there's going to be a Ferrari there. Now this, this has many problems. On the front end of prayer, it's all about entitlement. Creates a sense of entitlement. I de- yeah, I deserve a Ferrari. That's, the, that's point one. I deserve a Ferrari. I just need to believe that God can do it and then it's going to be there. It, it, and on the back end of your prayers, it creates enormous discouragement. Because it comes back to me, I'm just not having enough confidence in the Ferrari. If I would, I would have it right now. Instead, I'm driving a beater. So John, or, or, or Matthew, what does he mean? What does John mean? What do they mean when they say, okay, when you pray, pray according to his will. Okay, when you pray, you must abide in Jesus and his words must abide in you. And when you pray, you must believe that you have received it. Let's read some other verses to help us with, with prayer. To help us to understand this. When I'm praying for things and they aren't being answered, what are some things that I can look at? I'm going to say two things. One is to look at your life and to look at your prayer. And then we'll go on from there. First, you need to look at your life. Are you obedient? Are you obedient? Are you obeying God? Disobedience puts a ceiling on your prayers. Like a disobedient child. A disobedient child will hopefully 
still have the love of his parents and the provision of his parents and will have the, his needs met by his parents. But it changes, right? It changes the relationship until there is repentance and sense of fellowship. When my children are in disobedience and they're, they're not obeying and doing what I'm asking them to do, I'm not going to say, well, I'm not going to love you anymore. I'm not going to care for you anymore. I'm not going to provide for you anymore. You're not going to have dinner tonight. No, I'm going to continue to meet their needs. But our fellowship is broken. The relationship is, is, is strained. And I'm probably not going to go out and buy them a gift and reward them. Okay, so it's, it puts strain on the relationship. Disobedience impedes fellowship. And the same is true in your relationship with God. Listen to these verses. 1 John three twenty one. We read this. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Or Isaiah chapter 1, 15 through 17. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, God says to us. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So God says to his people in Isaiah, you're praying to me and I am not listening. And the reason I'm not listening, God says, is because you're being disobedient. You're in sin. You're not repenting from your sin. You're not turning from your sin. You're not asking forgiveness. So we need to examine our life. Is our prayer life not vibrant? Are our prayers not being answered? Don't assume there's not something wrong in your soul. Second Chronicles 7.14 if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Psalm 66, 17 through 19. I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, David said. The Lord listened, he said, but if I would have cherished sin in my heart, he would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Proverbs fifteen twenty nine. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous which is very similar to James 5.16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Watch your life. 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So is our prayer life not what we want it to be? Is it not what we think it should be? Does it feel stale? Does it feel like no one is listening? Does it feel like God's not on the other end? The first thing for us to examine is our life. If I'm walking in disobedience and I'm not loving and honoring God, I should not expect to have wonderful communion with Him. I should expect that to be an obstacle. So the first way to help us deal with unanswered prayer in our life is to examine our life and to see whether or not we're obedient. Is there sin we need to repent of? Now the second thing to examine is our prayer. Our prayer. So we've examined our life. Like John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you, if you abide in me, in other words, you're, 
you're loving Jesus, you're honoring Jesus, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But the second thing we need to look at is not just the life of the, the prayer, but what is the prayer? What is, the, what is the, the content of what it is that we're praying? What is our request? What is, is it that we're bringing before God? And we see in these verses, especially the one we're looking at today, that when we ask God for something, if we want to have the kind of confidence that John is talking about, it needs to be what? According to His will. And then Matthew 11, if we put that together, would say, if you are praying according to God's will, then you can believe that you have received it. You can believe that you have received it because it is according to God's will. That's the source of the confidence, is that you know that this is according to God's will. And if I know that what I'm praying is according to God's will, then I can have great confidence. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God will always answer that prayer. God, your will be done. Yes, God says to that. My will will be done. Jesus prayed that way himself, remember, in the garden. In the garden where he was beginning to feel the weight of the sins of mankind. And he talks about the cross and what he's about to endure like a cup that he's going to drink from. And he pleads with God, the Father. This is amazing passage where Jesus is praying to God, the Father, prayer, communing with him. And he says, if there's any way for this cup to be removed from me, let it be removed from me. If there's any way, he's saying, to accomplish redemption other than what I'm about to endure on the cross, let it be done. But then he ends his prayer with, you remember? But not my will, your will be done. And what did we see happen? God's will was done. What is it we're praying for? We are called by God to pray according to His will. Now, when it comes to God's will, we've talked about this before, there's at least two different meanings when the Bible talks about the will of God. The two we'll look at briefly are God's secret will and His revealed will. God's secret will are His foreordained plans for everything and everyone. And that has been decided and God will carry out that secret will. But none of us know what God's secret will is. He does not reveal his secret will, which is why we call it his secret will. It would no longer be a secret if he revealed it to us. So we have God's secret will. God's plan. We have also God's revealed will. And God's revealed will is revealed to us through, as Brad prayed, these 66 books of the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's Word. In God's Word, we have His revealed will. So if I want to pray according to God's will... If I want to have the kind of confidence in my prayers that John is talking about, then I must pray according to God's will. I must pray for God to do what God has promised to do in His Word. And when I pray for God to do what He has promised to do in His Word, in His will, I am praying according to His will. And John says, ask anything, anything according to His will, and He hears you. That is an incentive to read the Bible. 
Because you want to know what His will is. You want to know what His promises are so that you can bring those promises to God with great confidence. Now there's a different confidence that we'll talk about that applies to every other kind of prayer. But if you want this rock solid, you have God's answer yes when your prayers reach heaven kind of confidence, then you pray according to God's will. How else can you, like Matthew 11 talks about, believe that you have received it? The only way that you can believe you have received it is if God has promised it to you in His Word. So this garbage about just believing and the power being in your believing, more in the power of God... And if you believe these things, they will be so, even though they're not in God's Word, is ridiculous. We don't presuppose to know what God's secret will is and pray with great confidence that He will do that exact thing. And if we have enough confidence, He will do that exact thing. That is unbiblical. Rock-solid confidence that God hears and answers and says yes is when we pray according to His will. John Piper says, there has to be a basis for faith. You can't just will to have no doubts if you are not sure that what you are asking for is what God intends to do. And we know what God intends to do as it is revealed in His Word. So, so read the Word. Read the Word and understand God's Word and see what He has promised to do for you so that you can then pray to Him and ask Him to pour out those blessings in your life. You won't find a Ferrari, but you will find ultimate comfort. You will find peace. You may not find physical healing. You will always find spiritual healing, God's people. Always. And so we find out what God's will is and then we pray and ask God to do what He has promised to do. And John says when you do that, you have the request. Right now, the prayer is answered. Just wait for the result. But God has granted it. He has said, yes, amen. I'm going to give you what you've asked for. So do not feel guilty that you're not having enough faith if there are some unanswered prayers in your life. Do not think that I'm just not believing in this enough. And I, if I would have believed in it enough, God would have answered my prayer. That is not how prayer works. But John says, ask anything according to God's will and He will answer us. So, four things. What can we pray for with absolute certainty? At least four things. Number one, call upon God to save you. Why? Romans 10.13 For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a promise. That is the kind of prayer that you can ask because it's according to His will, 1 John 5.14. And when you ask that prayer, God hears us and says yes. So there has never been in the history of the world a person who has sincerely called out to God to save them and He has said no. That has never, ever happened. Every time someone has sincerely cried out to God from their heart and said, Save me, God has said, Yes. They were saved. So you can pray that with confidence. Number two, call upon God to sanctify you. Call upon God to sanctify you. 
Romans 6.22 But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Or Philippians 1.6 And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When you pray for God to sanctify you, when you pray for God to mature you, when you pray for God to grow you, God always says yes. And you can know, John is saying, that when you pray that, He hears you and you have His request. Done. In fact, we'll save the other two for just a minute. That's exactly what verse 16 and 17 are about here. He goes on here in verses 16 and 17 and gives a very personal and relevant illustration of answered prayer and the kind of prayer, an example, that is always answered with a yes from God. And it's something that's personal for all of us because it involves praying for people we love, which all of us have done. We pray for people we love. This is what John says. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. A promise. He's giving an example of something you can pray for that is according to God's will. You see how that works? You pray for this person and God gives them life. Not maybe, doesn't deliberate, doesn't think about it. You pray for him, God gives him life. And then he says it again. He qualifies that and says, to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. So you see that on both sides of that prayer. He says, I'm talking about those brothers you have, those sisters you have, when they commit a sin that is not leading to death, and you pray for them, God will give them life. Every time. There are prayers that you can pray that God always answers with a yes. The first one, Call on God to save you. Done. The second one, call on God to sanctify you or sanctify your brothers and sisters in Christ. Done. Total confidence. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. That is a really strange thing to read. I don't really have any idea what he's talking about. <laughs> I studied this and I read guys who have been dead for hundreds of years who have written 100 plus books who said, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> We're going to try. We got to try. But it sort of sounds like he says there's something out there that you don't need to bother praying for. And that sounds really weird, right? I'm not saying you need to pray for that. It's like he's saying, this would be a waste of time. <laughs> that's how I understand this. There's, you can pray for the guy who's committing sin that's not leading to death. Okay, pray for that. Okay, but the, this guy over here who's committing sin that leads to death, don't waste your breath. Focus your prayers on the one who is committing sin that does not lead to death. I do not say that you should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. You see what he's, It's like these two different classifications of sin. So he's saying all wrongdoing is sin. Don't get me wrong. He's just coming back and saying everything is, it, it's all bad. But there is sin. There's two categories for John. We've got to try and figure out what these are. There is sin that leads to death. And there is sin that does not lead to death. And when you pray for the one who's committing sin that does not lead to death, it is according to his will, verse 14, and God always answers it. You can know you have the request. He gives them life. 
But if you're praying for the one who's committed the sin leading to death, don't even bother. So the logical question for us is, what is the sin leading to death? Now we have that question for many reasons. One, I don't want to do it. Because I don't want you to be praying for me and John to say, don't bother. (laughs) Have I already committed that sin? And if you think that, very serious. What is it that John's talking about? We know from Romans 6.23 that death is the penalty for all sin. The wages of sin is death. So he's not talking about all sin. He's he's classifying something more specific. This verse is what leads to the distinction in the Catholic Church. I think your King James Version uses the term mortal sin for sin that leads to death. And tradition in the Catholic Church teaches that there are mortal sins and venial sins, and there are the seven deadly sins, the really bad ones. If you commit a mortal sin and you go to your grave with it unconfessed, you go to hell. The, the, the mortal sin, the venial sins, you, you can commit a million of those and you just might be in purgatory longer. <laughs> but your buddies on earth can usher you through that quickly. So it's all good. That's not what John's talking about. He's not saying, oh, there's these really big ones. There's the seven deadly ones. Stay away from those. Don't bother praying for the guys who are doing that. That's not the distinction he's making. Um, Perhaps this is, this is one of the theories, perhaps this is sin leading to death in the sense that it is apostasy. The Bible talks about apostasy, which is a complete rejection of Christ complete rejection of Christ. Is it talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? The Bible talks about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit as being an unpardonable sin. Maybe we help to get our answer by asking, what does life mean? When John says that if you pray for this person who's committing sin that is, that is not leading to death, God will give him life. What is the life John is talking about? Is it Is it life in the sense of Ephesians 2 where this person is dead in sin maybe? They are an unbeliever and God will give them life? Or is it not in that sense? Is it praying for a Christian who is in sin and they will be given life in the sense of communion and fellowship with God that He will mature them and develop them and sanctify them and bring them out of the sin that that they're in? Is the sin that leads to death, is what I think it is, is it consistent, unconfessed sin? Is it consistent, unconfessed sin? 1 John 1 9, we read it earlier in our study. It says, is if we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. It's, it's telling us, right? There is no sin that God will not forgive. Praise God. You cannot defile yourself enough to be unforgivable. There is always forgiveness if we would call out to God, if we would repent, if we would go to Him, if we would cry out to Him, if we would confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive our sin. But if we are going to not believe the Gospel, and not believe that Jesus is better and continually sin and not confess and not repent, that sin leads to death. Spiritual death. Alienation from God 
in hell. And I don't believe John is saying, do not pray for people who are not believers. Because that would be completely inconsistent with the rest of God's word. But I think he's using this as an example for a a prayer request that is always according to God's will. And when you're praying for a non-believer and you are asking God to rescue them and to save them, we don't know whether or not he's going to give them life. We don't know. We have total confidence in his ability, and we need to work on that. Having total confidence in his ability, we know in an instant you can save this person, but we do not presume to know that that is his will. Now we're back into predicting and determining what God's will is and believing that his will is a certain thing, and if we believe it enough, then he'll answer it, and that's garbage. So he's saying... What you can pray confidently toward God. He may give the non-believer life and he can give the non-believer life, but your Christian brother or sister who is sinking, who is sliding, who is turning, you get down on your knees and you pray confidently before God because He will answer that prayer. He will turn them back to Himself. And so pray with that kind of confidence. Not, don't apply the non-believer, God, you're able, maybe, I don't know. If you have a brother or a sister in Christ in our church who is turning away, we pray for them. What does it say? Verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. He does not say this. This is not a command. He does not say, if you see a brother who is, committing a, who is in sin, you should ask God. It's not a command. It's not an instruction. It says, he shall ask. What he's saying is, among God's people, when a, a brother or sister starts falling into sin, The inevitable result is that other Christians shall ask, not should ask. This is what we do in the church. This is how we deal with sin in the church. We pray. And I think there's not enough. And I think there's not enough because we have no confidence toward God in this. And John is saying, we have confidence toward God because you are praying according to His will when you pray like that. And when you pray according to His will, you can know that He hears you and you have what you're requesting. Keep praying till you see the results. That kind of confidence before God. So we pray confidently. Number three, call upon God to meet your needs. Call upon God to meet your needs and you are praying according to His will. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Philippians 4.12, Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. We may not always know what our needs are, but we can know that God will meet our needs. I mean, what are your needs really? I would say our needs are whatever we need to bring honor and glory to God because that is our purpose in life. And God promises he will always give you everything you need. Even Paul says, I know what it's like to have plenty. So it's okay if you have plenty, by the way. And he knew what it was like to be in need. Abundance and not much at all. He learned how to glorify and honor God when he had a lot and when he had a little. What was God doing all along? He was meeting his needs according to his great promises. And then fourth, 
We can call upon God to work all things for your good. With total confidence, we can pray this way, to call upon God to save you, to call upon God to sanctify you, to call upon God to meet your needs, and finally, to call upon God to work all things for your good. Everything. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. God rewards those who seek Him. Jeremiah 32, 40 and 41. Listen to the good that God wants to do for His people. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may turn, not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. So we go back to one of the things that we examine when prayer is not going well. What does my life look like? Am I obeying or am I disobeying God? We may think, well, that if I obey God, then this is like I'm earning the answers to my prayer. But then we read and find out in Jeremiah 32 that when you obey, it is because God is working in you, putting the fear of God in you that you would obey Him. So God says, I'm, I'm going to put a ceiling on the prayers of the disobedient. For, for my children, you can pray that I'm going to do good for you and I'm going to hear your prayers because I am going to ensure that you do not stay disobedient. And the ceiling will be lifted. And I will hear your prayer. And God says, I will do good to you. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And finally, Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? If God denies you something, and He will, it is not to put a lump of coal in your stocking. It is to give you something better than what you are asking for. That's what this means. God is always working for your good. If we see this with our boys. If I went home tonight and said, do you want a ribeye steak cooked by your dad on the grill? I'll fire up the special searing burner on the barbecue. Put on there a couple minutes each side to lock in all those juices. We'll get some Montreal steak seasoning on it. Let it get to room temperature before we throw it on. We'll cook both sides evenly. I'll cut it up for you. You can enjoy that tonight. Or would you like a happy meal? <laughs> Foolish. What would you choose? Happy meal. <laughs> if I ask him what's in a, in a happy meal and what's in that burger, he'd say something like a, 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 a patty of goodness. <laughs> and it's not true. It's a patty from Satan. <laughs> cooked in hell. For the destruction of your body. But he will choose it. He will choose it. Now, as a loving father, okay, I'm going to deny him the happy meal. 
and I'm going to give him the ribeye. And he's going to eat the ribeye, and we do this, and he thinks it's good. But in his mind, you know what he's going to be thinking? This is second best. <laughs> Sometimes God gives you gifts. And you don't even know you're eating a ribeye. You don't even know that what you think and what is, I experience this and my perception feels like this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I asked for. It doesn't feel as good as I, I think that was going to be. According to God's word, it's better. Who knows what he saved you from? Who knows what he protected you from? But you can have confidence before God. Confidence that God is working for your good. So I think we should major in those kinds of prayers. Save, sanctify, supply, do good. When you pray like that, John says, when the prayer leaves your mouth, know God has said yes. 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 I will save you. I will sanctify you. I will supply all your needs. I will do good. I don't need to think about it. I don't need to deliberate. It's unconditional. This is according to my will. You're getting it now. You just I, I love to hear my promises said back to me. I love to hear you hold me to my word. I love to hear this from you. My answer is yes. I will answer this prayer. So what we're trying to do here in conclusion, if I could do just anything, even I think in my ministry, is to help me and others to understand God's heart at the other end of your prayers. Just to get a, a biblical grasp of what God's heart is at the other end of your prayers. When you're praying according to His will like this, you can believe that you have what you have requested. Matthew eleven twenty four, because it is according to God's will. His revealed will. But not only that. What about this secret will of God? What about the unknowns? What about the desires of our heart? What about the, the things that, that we would love to see go a certain way? What about the, the friend that we would like to see healed of cancer? What about the neighbor that we would like to see get the job? What about the baby we would like to bring home? Whatever the request is, you should bring all of those things to God if you get His heart at the other end waiting to hear from you. This is why John Calvin described prayer as crawling into the lap of God. Another author said that God is the prototype for the kind and giving grandfather. He loves to hear the prayers of His people. He loves to answer the prayers of His people. He loves to reward those who seek Him. He loves to give good gifts from His hand. There are eternal pleasures at His right hand. He loves to pour out into His people. And so when you bring these secret will requests to God, you don't know what He's going to do, but you can go with all the confidence in the world that God is able. That He is able. And that you're coming to a God who wants to give you what you're asking for. That's the rationale that is given in Scripture. Where he compares God to a father. and what, 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 My son's going to ask me for a piece of bread and I'm going to give him a stone. I may give him something better than the bread that he won't think is better. But I will not give him a stone and God will never give you a stone. 
He will give you what you have asked for or something better. That doesn't mean you pray for a Hummer and you get a Ferrari. That means that he knows what is good for you. And maybe instead of the Ferrari, okay, he's going to give you a life of faithfulness to him that will result in an eternity with him in heaven that will blow the Ferrari away. And you may live this life thinking this is second rate and this is second best. This is not really what I wanted. But at some point, the roof is going to get blown off and you're going to see what God has done and you're going to wonder why you ever lacked confidence before Him. He is able. Joel Beakey says, tell God everything as if He didn't know anything all the while remembering he knows everything. God knows you. He knows everything. He knows your desires. He knows what you want. Do not let that keep you from telling him. Do not let that keep you from crawling into God's lap and saying, God, Please. Please do this. Please, God. And at the end of every prayer, in word or in heart, your will be done. And the reason you say to God your will be done is not because the Bible tells you to say it. You do it because you know that His will is perhaps even better than what you're praying for. And you trust Him. And so it's not, God, I want this, but if it's not your will, okay. Ultimately, I want your will to be done. It's God, this is what I want, but... Let me be clear. If this isn't your will, I don't want this. Because I know that it's not as good as it could be. That's the attitude. It's like you have to pray for God's will to be done. You get to pray to a God whose will will be done and it will be better than anything you could ever think or imagine. So present your request to Him with confidence in His ability knowing that God is going to do what is best for you. So John is saying we should have this kind of confidence when we come before God. And then in closing, the reason, the foundation for our confidence before God in our prayers is Jesus. It's Jesus. Because of Jesus, we're not intimidated by God. We can enter the throne room of grace with confidence. We're not afraid. We're not intimidated by Him. He's our loving Father who wants to do good to us. Even if our life is a mess, we come to Him, we go to Him. Because Jesus is our advocate, as John has taught us. And He brings us to God the Father, white as snow. It also means the gospel that we don't obey God to get answers to our prayers. We don't obey God to get anything. We obey God because. We obey God because He has loved us in His Son. And He has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. And our new desire out of a heart of gratitude 
is to please and obey him, not to get our prayers answered. But because of our love for him, because of his love for us. So may we, when we pray, may we come before God with great confidence. If we do not, do not know what God has in store for us, we will have great confidence in his ability, what he can do. And if we do know and are praying according to his will, we will not come just praying with the confidence of what he can do. We will come praying with the confidence of what he will do. And John says those prayers are special. Pray them. And when you pray them, know that you have his heart and your request is granted. Pray for salvation. Pray to be sanctified. Pray to have your needs supplied. And pray for God to work for your good. I'll pray. And then we have some leaders who will serve communion this afternoon. We ask you to take the bread and the juice and you take it back to your seat and we'll take it together as a family. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this afternoon and, and for your great and holy word. God, please help us to understand more deeply these truths that you reveal to us. God, I pray that when we pray tonight, that our prayers of, of thankfulness and our prayers of um, what we're hoping for and, and asking for, that we would be full of confidence before you. Because of Jesus, we would stand confidently before you, knowing that you desire to answer our prayers, knowing that you're able to answer our prayers, knowing that you are not a God for us to fear, but a God for us to enjoy. Pray also that as we come to you, praying according to your word, that we would have unshakable confidence. That we wouldn't wonder or doubt whether or not your word is true. That we would say to our friends who do not know you, cry out to them. Ask God for mercy. Ask him to save you that you will. Pray that when we pray for our needs to be met, that we would not doubt, that we would know that our needs will be met. That when we come to you and ask for a sin to be killed, that we would know that the sin will be killed. We come to you and pray that you would keep us and keep us from falling away and keep us from going astray, that you will keep us from going astray. And that when we come to you and pray in the middle of tragedy, in the middle of sadness, in the middle of discouragement, in the middle of depression, when we come to you and pray, God, will you do good to me? Will you work for my good? Will you do what's best for me? that we would have confidence that your answer is yes. So we love you. We're so thankful for your promises. We pray this in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Yes.